Greetings friends and welcome once again to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. My name is Jeremy Walker and together we're reading through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon to learn more of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's some beautiful sermons coming up full of Christ Jesus. This week we're reading 346 to 352 and our featured sermon is 347, Preaching, Man's Privilege and God's Power. Then next week it's sermons 353 to 359 and the featured sermon is number 354 which is a sermon for the week of prayer from Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. But this week Mark 6 and verse 20. For Herod feared John knowing that he was a just man and unholy and observed him and when he heard him he did many things and heard him gladly. The sermon title, as we've said, is Preaching, Man's Privilege and God's Power, and it was a sermon delivered on the Sabbath morning of 25th of November 1860 at the Exeter Hall, Strand. Spurgeon begins by reminding us that the preaching of the word has exceeding power, and he zeroes in immediately on John the Baptist, this man who preached fearlessly to Herod. He says, We want nothing in these times for revival in the world but the simple preaching of the gospel. And he's tracing that back to the boldness, to the clarity, to the straightforwardness of John the Baptist. Yes, he says, we're glad of the agencies and assistances which are continually arising. But after all, the true Jerusalem blade, the sword that can cut to the piercing asunder of the joints and marrow, is preaching the word of God. We must never neglect it, never despise it. The age in which the pulpit is despised will be an age in which gospel truth will cease to be honoured. Once put away God's ministers, and you have to a great extent taken the candle out of the candlestick. Quench the lamps that God hath appointed in the sanctuary. Our missionary societies, he says, need continually to be reminded of this. They get so busy with translations, so diligently employed with the different operations of civilization with the founding of stores, with the encouragement of commerce among a people. And we might add today things like uh, other mercy ministries, care for the body, all of which is, is valuable in its place. But Spurgeon's point, when we get taken up with such things, they seem to neglect, at least in some degree, that which is the great and master weapon of the minister, the foolishness of preaching by which it pleases God to save them that believe. And so, says Spurgeon, I want to direct your attention to this subject of preaching. I shall first attempt to show the blessedness of hearing the word of God, he says. Secondly, the responsibilities of the hearer. And then thirdly, those accompaniments which are necessary to go with the hearing of the word of God to make it effectual to save the soul. And as he works through those three main headings, Spurgeon alters his approach uh, as a preacher there's a couple of interesting things that he does. Uh, let me just uh, give you a, a, a heads up, as it were, so you know what to expect. He works both from a statement and to a statement under these different headings. In the first heading, when he talks about the blessedness of hearing the word, he makes a number of statements and then explains them. But when he comes on to the responsibilities of the hearer, then what he does is that he uh, works toward a conclusion. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, 
way of flipping his approach in order to maintain a measure of freshness, but also to engage the hearts and minds of those who are hearing him. We truly are blessed in having the privilege of listening to the Word of God. That's because of what the Word is in itself as preached. And Spurgeon picks up on a number of biblical images or illustrations to show why this is the case. The preaching of the Word is the scattering of the seed. The preaching of the Word is like a net cast into the sea which gathers various kinds. The preaching of the Gospel is like the mission of Christ upon earth. The word of God is the very bread of heaven. The scriptures are compared to a light. And yet there's a greater privilege connected with the word of God than even this, for all of this were nothing without the last. Spurgeon is then reminded of Ezekiel's vision. So he has all these various images and illustrations of liveliness and life-giving reality, the seed that is sown that brings forth the fruit, the net cast into the sea which gathers in the fish, Christ upon earth, like uh, going through the uh, the crowds and bringing health and life, the uh, the bread of heaven by which the hungry soul is fed, the light that comes to those who are in darkness. But, says Spurgeon, unless the word of God comes by the power of the Spirit, then we have none of these effects, none of these blessings. And so it is that Ezekiel vision owned of God, the Spirit, this gospel preached becomes a quickening cry and the sinner is made to live. Blessed are the dry bones that lay in a valley where Ezekiel prophesies, and blessed are ye that are found where Christ's name is preached, where his power is invoked by a heart which believes in its energy, where his truth is preached to you one by one, who despite of many mistakes knows this one thing, that Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God unto every one that believes. This consideration alone, then, the peculiar power of the word of God, might compel us to say that indeed there is a blessedness in hearing it. But he wants to, to turn this, not just the word of God then in itself, but let us appeal, he says, to those who've heard the word and have received good in their own souls by it. And he's preaching, remember, to hundreds and thousands of people. And he says, if I speak to hundreds of you who know in your own soul what the word of God is, then you will confirm what I am saying. You know what it is like. You know how, how it is when the word of God comes to you. And he says, I thank God for many good books. And he mentions a few that have been much used to bring people to Christ Jesus. The Rise and Progress of Religion by Doddridge. Call to the Unconverted by Baxter, Alarm to Sinners by Joseph Elaine, James, uh, John Angel James, Anxious Inquirer. But he's saying, above all these things, what is truly the life-giving word is the scriptures preached by the word of God, by the, by the man of God. The revealed word awakened me. It was the living word that saved me. And I must ever attach peculiar value to the hearing of the truth. Romans chapter 10. For by it I received the joy and peace in which my soul delights. And then he turns it again. Not just the value of the word in itself. Not just the value of the word by those who have been blessed by it in this world. But the, the way that the word is valued by those who have lost the privilege and he goes then to the, uh, the parable that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke concerning the rich man 
and Lazarus, and how the rich man cried out to Abraham to send Lazarus, for he had five brothers. Let him testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Oh, says Spurgeon, what would the damned in hell give for a sermon could they but listen once more to the church-going bell and go up to the sanctuary? Spurgeon carries us then into the place of damnation and says, consider what it would be for those who are now under the awful horrors of the curse against their sin, unmediated, unredeemed, if they could have one opportunity to hear the gospel preached that they might believe, how much they would desire it and delight in it. But we never value mercy, says Spurgeon, till we lose it. And then again, more, more brightly now, more positively, if you will, the estimation of the saints before the throne. So he's gone from the word itself. He's gone through the, the Christians who are before him. He's thought of those who are in a lost eternity and now those who are in the bliss of glory. What do you think, he asks, of the preaching of the word? They sing it. Faith came to us by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It was by it that we were led to confess our sins. By it we were led to wash our robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. So Here's, if you will, quite an objective assessment. Not that it lacks that experimental edge as you think about the sufferings of the lost and the glories of Christ's people, but this straightforward statement, really, that the Word of God has this abiding value in itself and to those who either hear it and heed it or those who have despised it. But now he comes in much more closely. He's not just describing, but he's pressing home this truth upon us. The second point is the responsibilities of the hearer of the word. And this is where he changes his approach because you're almost looking for the headings. And that's a typical sort of Spurgeon structure, a, a heading or a statement, uh, a heading or a subheading, I suppose we could say a leading thought. And then uh, he unpacks that. But here he builds towards it. So he says, it's all well and good to hear the word, but hearing is not in itself enough. Remember that Herod heard John the Baptist preach, and yet he perished. And he heard the, the greatest man who'd ever lived up to that point, John the Baptist. There never was, he says, a more honest and faithful preacher than John. And you too may with care have selected the most excellent minister, not for his eloquence, but for his earnestness, not for his talent, but for his power of faith. And you may listen to him, and that too with attention, and after all may be cast away. Take heed to yourselves, warns Spurgeon, that you rest not in the outward word, however fitly spoken or however attentively heard, but reach forward to something deeper and better. And so he's saying not just an accurate preacher, not just an earnest preacher, uh, not just a preacher that you make an effort to hear. And perhaps we might think now of the kind of uh, conferences to which people are flocking in our days and we tell ourselves, oh, we, we heard this man or we, we heard that brother and he's so earnest and it, it costs so much and he's so powerful and he's so doctrinal and this and that and the other thing. And we may be applauding ourselves that we are hearing such preaching. Spurgeon asks, do you do more than merely hear? Even the celebrated preachers of our age, even the celebrated preachers 
of a certain circle of Christianity where we know that we are talking about the true gospel. It is not enough to be a mere hearer. Ah, says someone, well, you've just anticipated what I was, I was about to say. I not only listen gladly, but I respect the preacher. And here's Spurgeon's reasoning now. So he's working up towards this warning. Hearing the word is not enough. Then someone says, oh, no, I don't just hear. I respect the preacher. Well, so did Herod, says Spurgeon. He observed John and he accounted him a just man and a holy man. And though he honoured the preacher, he was himself lost. You may perish praising the minister in your dying moments, says Spurgeon. Honouring the preacher is not enough. And so someone comes back and says, but I feel that I'm a better man through hearing the minister. Isn't that a good sign? Well, a, a good sign, but not a sure one, says Spurgeon. For Herod, they said, did many things. He observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things. Herod, when he heard John, was troubled, and he went away, and there was a little bit of outward reform. He began to sort himself out. For a time, there were sins from which he held himself back, and there were good things that he tried to do. He began to conform more closely to the morality which was at the heart of, of John's message, the, the holiness of which John spoke the character of the God which John held forth. But he didn't actually love it. He didn't love the God whom John preached. He didn't take the salvation which John held out. And so someone may be outwardly conforming to a certain standard of morality, but that's outward cleansing. That's moral purification. And we cannot rest there, but must strike deeper into the root and soul and marrow of these blessings, the change of your heart, the bringing of your soul into union with Christ. John hit Herod hard, and he could not help but feeling it. And he trembled and he was troubled. But when he got over it, as we might say, he didn't, he, it was clear that he had never really grasped the Christ of the gospel. So yes, we're glad if conscience is awakened. We rejoice if someone is made to question themselves in their path of sin. But the doubts pass and the goodness is like the morning cloud which evaporates in the sun. So, says Spurgeon, I'm tracking you down. To some of you, I've come to your very house. I've known of some, he says then, who after a solemn sermon, when they got home, could scarcely eat their meal. They are deeply troubled. They are grievously concerned. They must either give up their sins, they feel, or give up listening to the word, because the two things will not exist together. But so often people shake off even that degree of trouble. Their unhappiness is so much greater, the preacher's grief, when they see the man shaking off his trouble, the dog returning to his vomit, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. So let us not be, says Spurgeon, like Balaam, who prayed that his last end might be with the righteous, but returned to defy Israel, to provoke God, and to perish in his iniquity. And so you've got Spurgeon here and he's essentially interacting with the congregation and he's taking away excuse and boast one after the other. Well, I listen to a preacher and he's a good preacher. Well, I respect the preacher. Well, I feel better after hearing the preacher. Well, I'm troubled because I hear the preacher. And Spurgeon is saying, all well and good, 
but have you actually grasped the truth? Perhaps if you're a preacher, you've known people at the door and they say, oh, just I, I feel so comforted when I come here or I feel a little better or it really lifts my spirits. And I've had the conversation with people. But have you trusted in the Jesus who was preached? It is not enough that you feel yourself a little better. It is not enough that you feel your spirits lifted. It's not enough that you should appreciate being in a place of religion. You must close with Jesus Christ. And that's where Spurgeon goes. If you would hear the word to profit, you must hear it. Four things now. Obediently, personally, penitently, believingly. You must actually do what God calls you to do. You must take it to heart for yourself, not for others, but for yourselves alone. Begin, first of all, at home. You must hear penitently. That is, you must turn from your sins as the word of God deals with you. Tears for your transgressions, a true confession of guilt. And believingly, you must take it as fact, as truth. You must hold fast to the Christ who is held out. So says Spurgeon, God, give us grace so to listen, and then shall our responsibilities under the word be cleared up, receiving the power of the word into our conscience with demonstration of the Holy Spirit and fruits agreeable to our profession. You understand then, I hope, what Spurgeon is saying in this eminently practical sermon. Don't just commend yourself because you hear preaching, even good preaching, and that the good preaching makes you feel certain religious things. You must take to heart this word. You must hear and heed the preacher as he speaks of Christ, holds him up and holds him out. And so he comes to conclude with the needful accompaniments of hearing the word, the things tragically which Herod lacked. There are many men, he says, who get blessed by the word through God's sovereign grace without any of the accompaniments of which I am now to speak. Now, this is Spurgeon being careful, and he wants to make sure that he doesn't fall into the trap of demanding certain preparations or... Uh, qualities, qualifications almost we might say, before a man can come to Jesus Christ. Now he says these often go along with it and these are things that under God you can and should do in order to pursue blessing when the word is preached. But let us not therefore assume or declare that these are needful things before you can be blessed. His point is that Christ saves and he uses an example in his sermon. We have connected with us a brother in Christ who came into this place of worship with his gin bottle in his pocket one night. A chance hit of mine, as some would have thought it, when I pointed to the man and told him of it, not knowing aught but that the feeling that I was moved thereunto was the man's first awakening. That man came without any preparation, and God blessed the word. And that's what Spurgeon wants us to remember as he goes on. Preach the gospel and it will always find the man out and tell him all his secrets, carrying the lamp of the Lord into the hidden recesses of the heart. But while that is so, there are things that we can and should do if we would profit from the word. If you would be blessed under the word, I would, says Spurgeon, I desire that you would pray before you come here. Prepare yourselves. Ask God to favour you. 
and then expect that prayer to be answered. Come with the expectation of being blessed. He says the difference between so many sermons in different places is that people anticipate a blessing and others don't. Those who come out of curiosity tend to have their curiosity gratified. But if you come for real good, you shall not be disappointed. If you're looking for faults in the minister, you will find them. If you're looking for a blessing from God, God will not send you away empty. And again, how practical this instruction is for so often, perhaps especially if we become accustomed to hearing a preacher and we know his idiosyncrasies, let alone his faults and his failings. And we think, oh, there's going to be this or he's going to speak like that or he's going to use that tone or it's going to be that kind of structure or true. It may be true for every man in the pulpit is a sinning man. But if you go up expecting to be annoyed, If you go to church expecting to be frustrated, if you go to church looking for the preacher to do the things he always does, you will get what you went for. So listen, expecting a blessing, having prayed for God to bless. And then he says, naturally, you will listen with deep attention. When you go looking for the good, then you will be listening with an ear to receiving the blessing for which you have prayed and which you anticipate. He said, he talks about this young boy who'd been awakened to a sense of sin, exceedingly attentive to sermons, and when asked why, said, because I don't know which part of the sermon may be blessed to me, but I know that whichever it is, the devil will do his utmost to take my attention off then for fear I should be blessed. And so he comes listening to every word as if it were the most precious word, because he doesn't know which will be the bit that will do him most good. And then, says Spurgeon, picking up this personal hearing, ask yourself, does that belong to me? Appropriate the word of God. Take every part of it, whether it's a promise or a threatening. Do not turn any part aside. Do not hide from it. Do not avoid it. Receive it as spoken to you. So often we Perhaps we hear a bit of a sermon and we think to ourselves, well, I hope Mr. So-and-so is listening to that. Or maybe Mrs. Jones, uh, she needs to take that to heart. Or perhaps I hope my wife is paying attention. I hope my husband will take that to heart. The children really need to receive this. It's very easy for us to identify all the people that we think should be listening to the word of God. Spurgeon says, take it to yourself. You use it. You receive it. You press it into your own soul. But again, above this, nothing will be of avail unless you hear with faith. Faith comes by hearing. There must be faith mingled with the hearing. To trust Christ is to believe. To feel you cannot save yourself, that all your doings and feelings cannot save you, you trust Christ to save you. That's faith, says Spurgeon. And the moment I trust Christ, I then know that Christ died for me. For they who trust him, he has surely died to save. So surely died to save them that he will save them. So finished his work that he will never lose them. According to his own word, I give unto my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Just listen to what you're told from the Bible, says Spurgeon, and believe it. Now, sometimes I think that in our day and age, we we seem to imagine that that's kind of immature, that that's a a rather 
uh, unintelligent approach. We're taught to be suspicious. Uh, we're, we're taught perhaps that the, the Bereans were those who were constantly searching the scriptures to say, no, the Bereans were noble-minded. They received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures. Why do we not believe what God has said? It's one of the tragedies of pastors and preachers who betray their trust who cheat on their churches, who steal money, who preach falsehoods, who engage in immorality, who turn their backs upon the truth. We're taught almost, we begin to assume that we cannot rely upon the preacher who preaches. No, says Spurgeon, where the man is handling the word of God and holding forth Christ. Come and listen and learn. Heed what is spoken. Believe the truth in Jesus Christ as it is preached. This is the commandment, says God, that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ whom he has sent. See, this is not to suspend your faculties. This is not to throw yourselves into the hands of a charlatan. This is to believe upon the word of God preached. So, says Spurgeon, go home to your chamber and say unto God, I desire to believe what I have heard. I desire to trust my immortal soul in Jesus' hands. Give me genuine faith. Give me a real trust. Save me now and save me hereafter. I dare avow it. I never can believe that any man so hearing the word can by any possibility perish. Hear it, receive it, pray over it, and trust Christ through it. And if you are lost, there can be none saved. If this foundation give way, another can never be laid. If you fall, we all fall together. If trusting in Christ you can perish, all God's prophets and martyrs and confessors and ministers perish too. You cannot, says Spurgeon. He never will fail you. Trust him now. Spirit of God, he concludes in prayer, incline the hearts of men to trust Christ. Enable them now to overcome their pride and their timidity, and may they trust the Saviour now, and they are saved forever through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so might we all say, at the end of this wonderfully practical and pointed sermon, let us then, by the grace of God, not prove the Herods who could hear and applaud and fear and change and whatever else it may be, and yet not really heed what God has said and not have Christ in our hearts. Let us hear the word of God obediently, personally, penitently, believingly, praying for a blessing, expecting a blessing, receiving a blessing, pressing home the truth into our souls, knowing that God speaks in his word. And may this be a great joy to us and to many others as we hear what God has said, if not from a great John the Baptist, then from our own pastors and preachers, faithful men who speak the word as sent by God, recognized by the church, faithful to their charge, holding up Christ, holding forth the good news. May that preaching secure God's great purpose, the salvation of sinners, the building up of the church, and thus the eternal glory of his great name. My name is Jeremy Walker, and this is a Media Gratii production. I hope you've enjoyed From the Heart of Spurgeon. For more information, and to read along with us week by week, follow us on Twitter at Reading Spurgeon. That's Twitter at Reading Spurgeon.